going to sing we've done once or twice before so you may remember this is called Jalali Yesu which is Urdu for Almighty Jesus. Urdu is a language that is spoken um, in Pakistan and in other places of the world Um, so as we sing you can imagine our brothers and sisters around the world um, so many in Muslim countries who are praising Jesus through these words Jalali Yesu. The rest of the song is in English um, so Jalali Yesu is how to pronounce that that part.
Father, we want to thank you and praise you that you're the almighty God. And we have come today to worship you, to open our hearts to you and to let you speak deeply into our souls. And we pray that our worship would indeed honor you and lead us closer to you. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning before you're seated. Morning, man. How are you? thank everyone who brought food this morning and as you can see it's piling up and we appreciate that uh, appreciate the things that the college has done as well through the campus store and the games this weekend to uh, help with our food pantry we have so many people we're helping and now able to help and we just appreciate uh, so much all of the gifts every every uh, can every box uh, everything is important and we appreciate you the, contributing we are coming to the end of our three-week prayer vigil, and uh, it ends at 6 o'clock today. Uh, I do want to mention there are a few hours open this afternoon and uh, even after the service today. And if you're interested, you could sign up this morning before you go. This, we have to sign up this morning or anytime, and uh, we'll begin at 6 o'clock. And at 6 tonight, we'll be meeting in the community room, and we're going to have a celebration of what God has done. We're going to do some things that connect to us as family. We're going to be seated around tables, sort of like family, and we're going to have some ice cream. And um, we're going to sing together, have a chance to share. Uh, we're also going to, um, we're going to do something to, uh, to commemorate this time of prayer as we have done each of the other week, other years. So come tonight, we'll start at 6, we'll be done at 7. And I know Koinonia begins at 7, and, but we'd love to have you a part of the gathering and uh, to be a part of the celebration and hear, to see what God has done in our lives together. Um, Thanksgiving this week, so the office, uh, there will not be any Wednesday evening activities, and the office will be closed Thursday and Friday. Uh, there are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. We continue to pray for things around the world, as well as stuff connected to us here. And there are a couple of inserts in your bulletin. One's about PRISM. I encourage you to take a look at that if you haven't already and are not aware of that uh, gathering coming up in a couple of weeks. And also there's a Faith Promise Commitment Card. It's something we've done the last couple of years where we have... Um, we have helped to, uh, to fund some of our missions program through Faith Promise. And um, if you're here last week, you heard uh, Coach Lord talk about um, how we do this. And it's, a, you know, it's a, a faith giving. It's trusting God for something beyond what you might think you can do yourself. And we have had some amazing stories as people have stepped out in faith and God has supplied. So take this. We have a couple weeks to think and pray about this and to when you want to, uh, what you'd like to give, you want to participate and we'll be collecting those in a couple of weeks. At this time, we're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
together. If you'd like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please come join me. And we're going to begin our prayer time by praying together the prayer of confession that's printed in the bulletin. So please come to the altar or please be seated. Pray together the prayer of confession that's printed in the bulletin. O God, source of all that makes life possible, giver of all that makes life good, we gather to give you our thanks, even as we confess that we have often failed to live our thankfulness. What we have, we take for granted, and we grumble about what we lack. We have squandered your bounty with little thought of those who will come after us. We are more troubled by the few who have more than by the many who have less. Forgive us, O God. In this hour of worship, accept our thanksgiving and teach us to make gratitude and sharing our way of life through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we do pray that you will make us people who are grateful to you for every blessing. We are grateful today that you have been with us during these weeks of prayer. You've kept your promise to be present and to hear us and to answer us in your infinite love and grace. And we pray that you will help us to keep trusting you more and more in the days and weeks ahead. Let the sign of our trust be evident in our gratitude. Gratitude for blessings that, that just kind of knock us off our feet. And blessings that, that gently tug at our uncanny ability to take things in our daily lives for granted. We ask your gentle care upon your children who live in this fallen world and who suffer so much. For those who suffer innocently because of cruelty, for people caught in the crossfire of war and conflict, for people who are hungry and homeless, heal and restore, feed and clothe all who are in need. Father, put a burden on our hearts and on your people everywhere, that we would feel such compassion that we would beg you to let us be involved in helping others. Father, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. We pray that you will be with us here as you are with your children throughout the world. We pray, Father, that 
that you will help us in our times of need, that you would heal all of our diseases, that you would encourage us, that you would lead us to the deeper things of your spirit as we trust you each day. Father, we pray that your church throughout the world will be steadfast in the confession of your name, that we will bear witness to your grace here and around the world. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. 这些事以后我观看，看哪有大批的群众，没有人能数得过来，是从各邦国、各支派、各民族、各方言来的。站在宝座前和羔羊面前，身穿白袍，手拿棕树枝，大声喊着说：“愿救恩归于坐在宝座上的神，也归于羔羊。”众天使都站在宝座，众长老和四活物的周围，在宝座面前伏于地，敬拜神说：“阿门！愿颂赞、荣耀、智慧、感谢、尊贵、能力、力量都归于我们的神，直到永永远远。”阿门。长老中有一位问我说：“这些穿白袍的是谁？是从哪里来的？”我对他说：“我主，你晓得。”他对我说：“这些人是从大患难中出来的，曾用羔羊的血洗净了他们的袍子，并且洗白了。所以他们在神宝座前昼夜在他殿中侍奉他。做宝座的要用帐幕覆庇他们。他们不在饥，不在渴，日头和一切炎热也必必不伤害他们，因为宝座中的羔羊并牧养他们。”领他们到生命中的泉，神也必从他们眼中擦去一切的眼泪。阿门。
Father, all blessing, glory, and honor is yours. Let us understand that more and more as we continue in worship and we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. There's a lot about the book of Revelation that we don't understand. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, it's so easy to get wrapped up in all of those things. The, uh, the imagery, the, the horses, the horsemen, the plagues, the seals, you know, all of these things. And you, you read it and you wonder, is this literal? Is it figurative? Is it, is it allegorical? Is it symbolic? What exactly is going on here? And honestly, we're not really sure exactly the answer to all those questions. People have been debating it for centuries, and there are all kinds of theological systems that are based on people's particular interpretation of that. But there are some things about the book of Revelation that we can be certain about, some things that are crystal clear. One of those is that when the dust settles, when we get to that point in time where God brings in his kingdom... And everything is the way he meant it to be. And we get to that point, we are going to discover as never before that Jesus wins. He, he, he's the Lord. He's the king. And he really has no rival. The lamb who was slain and who rose from the dead and who has conquered all, he reigns. And the book of Revelation is very, very clear about that truth. We also can be clear about the demographics of heaven. We can be clear because John gives us a picture of of what it looks like in that day and in that time and, and that heavenly existence. And John tells us that In in chapter 5, verse 9, and again in chapter 7, verse 9, he talks about God bringing in this, this kingdom, this group of people that he has redeemed, and they come from every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language. Every single one. They're all a part of the kingdom. I find that interesting as we have been going through the, this family tree and we look back and we see from Adam and Eve to this day, we, we find in essence that when we get to that final moment, when we get to the time when the kingdom is completely realized, it will be as diverse as we are. Randy Alcorn in his book Heaven says that, that there, the new Jerusalem will be a melting pot a lot like the current Jerusalem. We have people who have come together from all different walks of life, from every nation and race and all of these different demographics of the world. And we will come together on that day. And we will, we will learn from each other and we will know each other in a way that we can't now and we don't now. But my mindset about heaven was always that that we would all sort of be the same. You know, we just sort of be clones of each other. But John gives us a different picture. John says there's going to be great diversity in heaven because he could identify people from tribes and people groups and nations. And even he heard, heard different languages being spoken. You know, I always thought we were all going to speak one language and it was probably going to be English. I don't think that's the case. If it's any one language, it's probably going to be Hebrew. But John seems to tell us that there is this diversity of languages. And, and maybe what's going to happen is that we will, we will get to that point and, and there will be all the different languages of the earth, but we'll have the ability to learn each other's language and we'll want to learn each other's language because knowing how people speak and understanding the language that people speak has a great deal to do with understanding the people who speak that language. And we're going to want to know about each other because we love each other and we care for each other. And there is in in heaven this image of great diversity 
that John describes for us. Now you may be sitting there thinking, oh, that's wonderful, but who cares? Really, it doesn't, what does that have to do with us now, how we live? I mean, it's a great picture and I'm happy it's there, but what is the point? Well, the point is this. If that's the picture of God's kingdom in heaven, and Jesus prays and teaches us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, then shouldn't it be our goal, our desire, our yearning, to develop on this earth the same image of the kingdom that John gives us in heaven. So that when we think about God's kingdom, we're not thinking about everyone being like us. We're thinking about the diversity of the kingdom. We're thinking about the the bigness of the kingdom. We're thinking about all of God's people coming together Making up the kingdom, not just in heaven, but now on earth too. But it's not even just that. In chapter 5, verse 10, right after John says, I saw people of every tribe and language and nation and people group. He says, and God created them and God redeemed them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. This is not just about diversity in heaven. It is about equality in heaven. That on that day, all of us, all of God's people, all those who have opened their hearts to Christ will be equal in the kingdom. And I'm not sure we always see it that way. But that means that there is no hierarchy in the kingdom. But everyone, all of our diversity will come together on that day and we will all be royal priests of God's kingdom. And I think that means that now we ought to be looking at each other and thinking about each other as royal priests equal in the kingdom. There will be no no hierarchy. No, I'm better than you. You're better than me. But we're all together. And whatever our differences, they come together in the kingdom of Christ. And that means that we will have not only different, not only will there be different nationalities and different languages and different people groups and tribes and races, but different personality types and different socioeconomic groupings. And, and, and there, will be, there will be also be this equality of gender. No, when he, when he gives us this picture, there is no sense of uh, these are just men or these are just women, but these are persons. These are all the people of God who are come to, have come together and are equal in God's kingdom. And if that's the image we have of heaven, ought that not to be the image that we have now? That we're all equal together. That we all have value and worth. That we all have the, the, the calling to serve God with whatever gifts we may have, whatever places God brings us in life. And there are no limitations to that. If we're a child of God, we use our gifts. And it doesn't matter if we're men or women. It doesn't matter our socioeconomic class. It doesn't matter our race, our nationality. We are all equal in the kingdom of God. I think we wrestle to grasp that. I think people, I think this is particularly an issue for us to grasp in the West and more specifically in North America and maybe more specifically in the United States of America. There is something in us as Americans that wants to believe that we have figured things out. And if the rest of the world would just do things the way we, have, we do them, they would be great. Everything would be perfect. And we have contributed tons to, to what is good about the world. But there is something in that mindset of, honestly, arrogance. It's the way we think as Americans, the way we operate. You know, as businesses, we tell people, this is how we operate our corporations. This is what you ought to do. 
This is how we, we think about things. This is how you ought to think about them. You know, everything seems to come back to what do, what do we do as Americans? And that's what you ought to do. And again, while we contribute much to the world, that's a pretty ethnocentric mindset. That we're at the, somehow we think we're at the center. And that creeps into the church. And we come to believe that, that it's all about what we can give to the world. And seldom do we ever think, what can we learn from everybody else in the world? You know, if the great sin in the Garden of Eden was arrogance and pride, the solution, as Jesus tells us over and over again, is humility. And we need to approach one another in the kingdom with a humble spirit instead of this self-centered, ethnocentric, arrogant spirit. Somehow we have come to believe that we are the center of the kingdom, that we have discovered how to do everything and we are the judge of everybody else based on do they do it the way we think they should? Do they do it the way we do it? Are they doing it the way that we have figured out is best? And we judge right or wrong, good or bad, based on what we do, And seldom think maybe they have a better way of doing that than we do. Because we're so wrapped up in us. God's been speaking to me about this very mindset. Because I think a lot of times, especially growing up in America, it's not that we do that intentionally necessarily. I think there is just sort of a subconscious kind of mindset that we figured some things out. We figured most things out. And it's so easy to to fall into the trap of believing we understand better than anyone else. And seldom do we think, what does the rest of the world have to teach us? But we should be thinking that way. Especially as brothers and sisters in Christ. Earlier this fall was an activities fair on campus, the college, and it's a time where they set up tables all around the quad and clubs and organizations. Some of you remember that. You've been there. Uh, line up and, and we they were very generous and let the church come there and we set up tables and, and we do a lot of recruiting during that time. And since I'm not necessarily recruiting people as some of the other pastors are, I like to spend that time just roaming. And I like to walk all around to every table, meet new people, greet people who are back at school I haven't seen for a while and and, and I like just walking around, seeing what the different clubs are, what are they doing. And, and in the course of that this year, I, I stopped at the table of the Black Heritage Club. And we started talking about, you know, what their club was about and what they were doing. They invited me to come and, and I said, I would love to do that. And I actually have attended a couple times. And, but in the course of that conversation, we were talking about the church. And I mentioned them that we were doing this family tree thing this spring or this fall and some of the things we were doing. And they said, maybe you could come and speak to us as a group. And my initial response was, yeah, I bet there's some things that I could teach you. And then I sensed the Holy Spirit saying to me, is that really the answer you want to give right now? And I said to them, I'll be glad to do that. But what I really want to do is to come and listen to you. I want to come and ask you questions about your life and learn from you and try to understand where you're coming from. Instead of just trying to get you to understand what I'm thinking. And and God is working on my heart to to see the world that way. But it's so hard because my natural inclination is to say, I've got answers. And if you just listen to them, everything will be great. And God is continually trying to help me to see that other people have answers that I need. And I need to listen to those. Francis Bacon, a 17th century philosopher, talked about a lot of the idols that we struggle with. And one of the idols he talked about was the idol of the cave. And he said, we have in our minds as though, it's as though we live in a cave and the only view of the world we have is looking out the entrance of that cave. And that's all we see is that little entrance, the light of that entrance, and that's how we view the world. And we have convinced ourselves that that's all the world there is. And that's the only way to see the world. And we don't even realize how much more there is out there. We're so focused on what we can see and have convinced ourselves that that's all there is to see. And that's the only way to see it. 
that any other suggestion seems ludicrous to us. And it's because we are so ethnocentric, so self-focused, thinking that we're in the center of all that's going on and everything revolves around us. Someone was telling me that the first time, first class they had in French at the college, the professor said to them, let me just be clear with you, make this right off the bat, French is not a translation of English. You know, and they said that to me, I thought, you know, I've thought that way before. I did not consciously, but sort of thinking, all right, wonder why they came up with that word to translate English, right? I'm pretty sure it's the other way around. But that's just how, how easily that gets into our minds and how little we realize it. You know, we, we are continually trying to control things. And we're continually thinking that we are the center, we are the focus. I was thinking about that the other day in the prayer room. I was looking at the map of the world on the wall. And it looks a bit like this map that is going to come up on the screen here. And it reminded me of the maps that we used to have when I was younger and in school. That looked like the second map on the screen. And you see the difference? In the first map, Europe's in the central. And it, fits, it works well because it, it divides in the oceans. And the second map, the United States is in the center. And the only way you can do that is to cut Russia in half. But that's what we did for years. That's how we drew maps. With the United States in the middle. Because nothing's more important than the United States. And we are. God has blessed us. And we give thanks for for all the things that we have. But just that mindset creeps into us. And it affects how we see and view and treat other people. And think about other people. We do that with the way we develop missions. It's all about what we contribute to them. And seldom do we think what they can contribute to us. What we can learn from them. And what I've discovered is that our experience defines what we view as normal. I talk about that with couples in premarital counseling. You know, they, we come together and start talking about what do they think is normal? And every time it's my experience. And they don't realize that that may not be normal. And I, and I talk about that with, with, uh, in terms of Christmas. And how, how, what do you do about Christmas gifts? Some people open gifts on Christmas Eve, some Christmas morning, some Christmas night, some Epiphany. And how do you open gifts? In some families, everybody gets around, you got gifts under the tree, you put a gift in front of the person, they open it up, everyone watches. They, you know, they, if it's closed, they may try them on. If it's some kind of gadget, they might try to put it together, look at it, everyone. It might take 10 minutes for that person to open that gift. And then put it down, you move, give your gift to the next person. And they do the same thing. In other families, you put your pile of gifts in front of every, pile of gifts in front of every single person. You say, go, and there's just paper flying everywhere. And whatever you grew up doing, that's normal. And when you put together two people who have grown up with different normal, you have conflict. Because we all think that whatever our experience is, that's normal. However abnormal it may be seen to everybody else. It's just inherent in us to think my experience is normal. And when we think about the rest of the world, we are continually falling into the trap of we know best. And so we need to control what goes on. We do that with our money. You know, we have, you know, we have, we have a lot of wealth in this country and probably more money for missions comes from this country than anywhere else. And that's good and we don't want to stop that. But sometimes we use our money to control the church in other countries of the world. And we say, well, when you get this figured out, we'll give you more. Here's something to get started. Let's see how you do with that and then we'll give you more as things progress. What if... We took whatever the end amount was going to be when we got done and we just gave it to them and said, we trust you. We trust the Holy Spirit. Here's the gift we were going to give you. No strings attached, no control. You do what you think is best. 
We're going, wait a second. You know, what if they don't use it right? What if they waste it? And we say that as if we don't waste money. You know, people in other countries of the world, honestly, maybe have figured out some stuff that we haven't. You know, in this country, we're all about independence and how we view our faith. In most of the other countries of the world, it's about community. I think they have something to teach us. In many places of the world, sharing what you have is a higher good than winning. Maybe there's something we need to learn from our brothers and sisters. Whatever our view of the kingdom, it's too small. No matter how big we think our view of the kingdom is, it is too small for God. I love the way the TNIV translates John 14 too. It says, my father's house has plenty of room. I like that image. There's plenty of room in my father's house. And sometimes I think our mindset is there's less room. We're trying to confine his house. We're trying to create hurdles that people have to jump over. More hurdles than even Jesus does. Because because we want to limit the kingdom to look like us. Instead of just letting God's kingdom be what God wants it to be. Because God's kingdom is always bigger, wider, longer, higher, deeper, greater than any concept of the kingdom any of us could have. But we're continually trying to smash it into our image. And why do we do that? Is it control? Is it power? Is it arrogance? I would say yes, yes, and yes. Because we think the kingdom should look like us when in reality, it's so much bigger than us. And that's what I love about this table. When we come to the table of Christ, we are coming together. And this table doesn't doesn't mean that we're now going to be all bland, that we all just look like each other and we all act like each other. Not at all. This is a table where we come with all of our diversity and all of our different ways of seeing things and doing things and the wideness of the kingdom. We all come to this table, but we're unified at this table. We bring together all the ways in which we are different. And we don't wipe those out. We just mesh them into one. There is a theory that some scholars have said that, that the image of God cannot be reflected fully in one person or even in a group of people. The image of God can only be fully revealed and reflected in this world by all of God's people together. All of us. Psalm 133, verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. God is thrilled, overjoyed, when we bring our diversity together to form this beautiful mosaic of the kingdom. That's what I love about the, the tree that's in the prayer room that we've been using this, the, during this prayer vigil. When it started, it was just a blank brown tree. And every time somebody comes in the prayer room to pray, they write their name on one of those leaves and they stick it into the tree. And now you can see what it looks like. After hundreds of hours and hundreds of people coming to pray, they're all different leaves and they're all different names. But what a beautiful picture it makes of the kingdom. And I guess I just keep coming back to this image that John gives us. That if the kingdom of God in heaven is diverse and big and wide and deep, shouldn't our goal as God's people on this earth be to nurture that image? That we would all be one through the grace of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
what you have taught us and for the, the largeness of your kingdom. We pray, Father, that you will help us to, to understand your kingdom in a new way as, as so much bigger than us. And we ask, Father, that you will, you will open our minds to new ways of thinking about the kingdom and, and moving beyond our ethnocentric mindset. Help us to see the world the way you see it and the kingdom the way you see it and make us people who are humble about our place. Father, we thank you for the bread and the cup we're going to partake of this morning. We pray your blessing upon on this food that it would nourish our souls and that it, we would have, it would help us to, to have a larger wider, more Christ-like perspective of your great kingdom. We remember, Father, on the night that Jesus met with his disciples. He took bread and he gave thanks to you and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he He gave thanks to you and he gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Father, open our hearts to you through the bread and the cup. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. We're going to receive communion this morning by the mode of intinction. This means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup and eat it. And then you can return to your seat by the outside aisles and the altar is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. This might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you've come today with your heart open to Christ, with the desire to, to be part of His kingdom, to see his kingdom the way he does, then you're wholeheartedly invited to come and to receive these gifts from our gracious and loving Father. Sing a new song to him who said.
the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.